0: Welcome to the show. In this one, I talked to big mountain snowboarder, Ashley Call. As a kid, he was familiar with his home mountain, Eagle Crest, because he'd be there pretty much every day from 6.30 in the morning to 6.30 in the evening. For over 20 years, his dad was the director of ski patrol. So while he helped ready the mountain for the day... Ashley ran around the lodge and caused trouble until the mountain opened and the lift started spinning. Then it was time for Ashley to ride the mountain all day long. He started snowboarding at 13. That first year, he went as fast as he could until he fell down. He had to. He was trying to keep up with the Juno boys, a group of riders in Juno who were pushing the boundaries of the sport in the 90s and early 2000s. They rode together, traveled for competitions nationally and internationally and filmed video parts. They were a family of exceptional riders who fed off each other. So to keep up with them, Ashley had to point it. He had to go as fast as he could, which is something he would become known for. He would go on to have an impressive big mountain career with wins at Verbier, Arctic man, and King of the hill. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the crude magazine, Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Sharon Liska, Jake Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Borderline Legacy. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash Crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review crude conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at TeePublic from t shirts to hoodies to stickers, baby onesies, and more. Just go to the crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay. Back to Ashley Call. For the last six or seven years, he's been focused on pow surfing. Pow surfers are like snowboards, but without bindings. He says it gives him the same rush he used to get with snowboarding, when he'd charge spines and steep lines. So any chance he gets, that's what he does. At a ski resort or in the backcountry. As he gets older, that's where he sees himself putting his energy. Being a proponent of pow surfing. That and being a father. He says that his daughter has taught him patience. Something he's lacked until recently. Lift lines and traffic, for example, used to stress him out. But now, with a kid, he's learning to slow down and that it's okay if things take a little bit longer. So here he is, Ashley Call. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fire it up.
1: Crude Conversations.
0: Listen more, then you talk go to work over the years, my dad has given people a lot of nicknames, and he gave you one didn't he
1: yeah, oh, yeah. um <laughs> that's a great way to start yeah um well, you know I have a girl's name Ashley is a tough one um so yeah, your dad uh he saw started calling me uh horse's ass. <laughs> And so horses ash kind of stuck for a while, and and your brother Jake definitely ran with that one. So shout out to Scott for horses ash.
0: Yeah, my brother Jake said it's his favorite nickname out of all the <laughs> nicknames my dad has given people.
1: Yeah, that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> well, it's not my it's not my favorite. I guess you could say it's probably okay. it's probably Jake's favorite because he loves saying it. <laughs> Still to this day, that's what he calls me. So yeah, yeah. It's a good one.
0: (laughs) Do you remember the first time my dad called you horses, Ash?
1: Oh God. Yeah. Um, I think we're hand digging the pipe up at borderline camp, you know, back when we had the, the only half pipe in Alaska, we were hand digging it Mm -hmm. and take us, you know, a week or so. And uh, yeah, I think, I think he just shouted it down to me once when I was carving the, carving the lip out or moving snow and just yelled down something like, horse's ash, get up here, grab this water cooler. (laughs) And I was just like, what? And then it, yeah, it stuck for sure. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Thanks,
0: Jake. So your dad was the head of ski patrol at Eagle Crest, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty lucky because he's, he worked Eagle Crest from 1977 till, you know, into the 2000s, like, for over 20 years. Um, And he was the director of the ski patrol, so um, he'd bring me up early and, you know, he'd go throw avalanche bombs and get the whole mountain ready and I'd just kind of run around the lodge like a little kid, just cause trouble, and then when the lifts open, I'd be there all day. And then, like, at the end of the day, I'd have to stay late because my dad would be up there still doing sweep and, you know, getting everything put away, so I'd spend like from I don't know, you know, 6:30 in the morning until 6:30 at night just at the ski area. Mm-hmm. Just just un, you know, a, a wild child just kind of um it was a daycare center with nobody looking after me. <laughs> so it was it was a good place for that, you know, yeah. for for a guy like me. Um so yeah, he uh he brought me up there all the time and um, I also got a free seasons pass for it until I turned 18. So that was kind of cool because I started skiing when I was two, so saved a little bit of money. <laughs> when did you start snowboarding? Um, I started snowboarding for real, like when I was 13. So probably like 93, something like that. Um, I skied from two until I was about 12. And then I, I rented boards a few times from Eagle Crest. Rented some really bad boards like these old Kempers. Terrible bindings, they're way too big, super stiff. Like, I don't even think I could ride one now. I mean, they, mm-hmm. were, they were terrible. So I was a pretty good skier, but the skis were really bad too. They're super skinny and the snowed Eagle Crest is just really, it's wet pow. And skinny skis and wet pow just are not fun. So I was getting to that age where I wanted to like, you know, start going off and riding pow, but the skis wouldn't let me do it. So I, I saw some, some snowboarders and I thought that's the ticket. So, um, in 93, you know, when I was 13, I just abandoned the skis completely and committed to snowboarding full-time.
0: What did your dad think?
1: Um, he was, he was cool with it. I mean, he made me buy my first snowboard. Um, he's like, if you want a snowboard, you have to buy it yourself. Like he would keep, he, he would have kept getting me skis, but um, so I went to the ski swap, which they have in Juneau every year. It's a used, you know, gear swap. And um, I, I didn't have really any money at 13 years old, but I bought this board that was way too big. It was a 163 um, look grinder. Super stiff, big mm. giant board. I mean, I, right now I ride at 64 and I'm six foot three. So when I'm, you know, I was 13, I was quite a bit smaller. And, yeah, it was uh, a big board. Yeah, it was a big board. And uh, I had a, <laughs> a one piece suit and I had like a the jester hat with the bells on it. Yeah. And uh, a mambo sock, like the whole thing. And um, just full kook. And. Um, <laughs> And I just, I just went for it. And, and yeah, so he he was all right with it. And the first year, you know, I just kind of rode by myself a lot because my skier friends were starting to race and I wasn't good enough to snowboard with the, the Juno boys yet. Like the, you know, the, the kids, my friends, you know, mm-hmm. all my best friends now, yeah they started before me, so they were, they were good ish, you know? And uh, so I was. I kind of, that first year. I just kind of was just just go real fast because the board was so big. I just go real fast till I fell, and I did that for a year. And then, yeah, after that, I kind of got the hang of it.
0: When were you able to link up with the snowboarders?
1: Pretty much the next year, I I got a a better board. I bought a Morrow, and um, it fit me better, and. I started tagging along and, and just trying to keep up with, um, you know, courier and Lando and, and firm and some of the, you know, the, the boys, my boys that were, were better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just follow them and, and try to make, you know, at least try to keep up, but I wasn't like hitting jumps or anything really too much. I was still just, just trying to keep up with those guys. And it, it was cool because like, we're all the same age, but they started snowboarding a few years before me. So they kind of had the, the hang of it and I was a skier. And so I switched over and I was just trying to keep up, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that probably attributes a lot to to my style for the rest of my life is, is I, I like to go fast. I like to really mm-hmm. just go fast. And I think from the beginning I just had to go fast to try to keep up with these guys because I, I wasn't very good. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, shout out to those guys. Cause, um, they, they didn't want me to follow him either. I remember Lando was making fun of me my second year. He's like, how long you been snowboarding? I think I lied. I think I was like, oh, like three years. He's like, <laughs> "He's like, then why do you suck? <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I was so crushed because, like, Mark was so good. Yeah. Um. I mean, he was like five feet tall, had this little Jamie Lynn. And he was already spinning and doing tricks. And I remember that kind of crushed me a little bit because I was – I wanted to hang with those guys, you know, but I just wasn't quite there yet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's tough thinking about, I don't know how mean kids can be, you know, like, uh, not, not specifically Landvik, but just people in general, you know, I had, I had my time of being the bully because I was bullied and, Mm -hmm. you know, you just kind of pass it along and that's just a little bit of the culture you know, of snowboarding and skateboarding is you just kind of talk shit.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And he was right. I sucked. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I shouldn't have been trying to ride with them. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted I wanted to do what they were doing. So I, I wasn't going to be deterred. And it, it got to this point where I, I did kind of catch up. And then I was like, able to ride with them and hit the jumps and, and keep up. And, and then they, they kind of accepted me probably my third year snowboarding. And then from there we were super, super tight. And I, I got in, you know, um, through like pure determination and, and, um, just, you know, a little bit of practice.
0: Yeah. And when did you get into your first heli? Um,
1: my first heli, I was, I was 16 because I, I drove myself there. Um, and that's kind of how I think I remember that age because I remember driving my Subaru there as my first car. And, um, you know, in Juneau, we were super lucky because we had all these helicopters sitting around because we have summer tourism. So Mm -hmm. there's all these helicopters here in Juneau. Um, and in the winter, they don't really do anything. They just sit there. So the companies are, are psyched to, to hire them out. So, um, there was there was a good heli scene there and I was on the list I was on the standby list to fill seats with all the pros that were coming up I mean Juno was the spot before before Haynes turned into more of a mecca Mm -hmm. like Juno saw you know Terrier and Rippy and Tom Burt and all those guys so um I was on the standby list and I just got a call and, and Bruce Griggs was like hey we got a seat we need a filler and I was like cool i was like sweet i skipped school sorry mom um i (laughs) i just bounced i went out to the heliport and i got there and i talked to bruce griggs and he was like all right here's your group and it was tom burt and like he's like was my idol kind of at that point because i liked to go really fast and he was a legend you know when i was 16 he was yeah he was in all the movies and They just needed a seat filler so i went out with him and um man we ended up going to this place that was has never been ridden since and had never been ridden at that point uh, over on admiralty island called eagle peak Mm. and uh, we went over there and my very first run in a heli i uh tom burt repelled me over this cliff into this chute first (laughs) and then (laughs) And it was like, all right, you know, and like, and I, I wrote it and it was, it was sick. It was really, really cool. Great experience. Um, It's pretty funny too, because before we got in the heli at the helipad, he's like, oh, like, like how many times you helied before, you know, like you got any experience? Because I was just a kid. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I've I've done it a bunch around here, you know, (laughs) you know. (laughs) and he's like all right sweet um i don't think i ever came clean to him on that one but that was my first day and uh we did a bunch of stuff it was uh tom burt and jim zellers and um we rode a bunch of first descents and um and then we found out afterwards that it was in like in a national park and we weren't supposed to be there and no one's ever helied there since so that was yeah that's kind of a, a memorable occasion as a as a kid for sure
0: that seems to be kind of a theme with you and snowboarding, you know, when you first started is lying about your snowboard experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: fair. That's fair.
0: Just to be able to fit in.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I just want to be a part of the action, man, whatever it takes, you know, uh, I'm not a devious person by any means, but, um, yeah. At, at the time I was like, oh yeah, Tom Burt. Of course I've been in helis. Lots of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've flown them. Yeah. Yeah. Fly, fly them. You know, <laughs> yeah. Look, I drove a car here. <laughs> I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> so after that, that heli trip with Tom Burt, you know, later in life, did you get to know him? Did you, did you, were you able to talk to him about that experience?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I've I've known him since and and I've, I helied with him after that several different years. I would do the same thing. I mean, I did that all through high school. I would just fill seats with helies. Were with uh, with groups that were there with with all these pros. I I was just like the extra seat filler to make it cheaper for everyone because flying with an empty seat is is you know expensive. So I mm-hmm. I got to go out with a lot of kind of heavy hitters as just like an extra guy and like they were filming and i just kind of you know ride whatever and um so i got to do that with tom and jim zeller's a bunch actually over those next few years and um and then i'll I'll see him you know i'll see him with the mount baker bank slalom or i'll see him you know i i went mountain biking with him in tahoe a couple years ago you know like He's he's always been a big mentor to me. He he judged some contests that I did too, some big mountain contests. So I saw him and mm-hmm. saw him in Europe a few times. And and yeah, he still he remembers that Eagle Peak mission because it was a first for him too. And yeah, it was like a first and a last. Like so, he knows how kind of special that was. But yeah, I don't I don't think I ever came clean on the fact that that was my first day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how was that first day?
1: Oh yeah it was it was insane um i mean getting repelled into a, a a big shoot i'd never you know been repelled before at all yeah i never i'm not a rock climber um we were wearing harnesses because that's what you did but yeah you know he put me on he tied it on for me and just like lowered me down and and then just said unclip and ride it and i was like okay but yeah I had no <laughs> idea i mean really no idea what what was going on but um yeah, I was riding good at that time. When I was sixteen, I was I was pretty good, you know. And so I think, yeah, I ripped it. And and I remember him and Jim like commented at the bottom of it, like, "Damn, you were going fast." I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "Yeah, that's yeah, that's what we do, right? <laughs> we're in Alaska." <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I was absolutely clueless. I think we did like four or five runs over there on Admiralty Island, and um, yeah, no one's been back. So that's that's one of those little special moments for sure.
0: Do you feel like being Alaskan, you know, when maybe you're competing in these other competitions that are down in the States or overseas, do you feel like maybe you have to, I don't know, go even harder to accurately represent Alaska? Because Alaska's, its reputation precedes it, you know?
1: Yeah. I, that's a good question because that that never really crossed my mind having to like represent a.k. Um, in the contest scene or, or really anywhere, I think more than anything, I I got a lot of respect for being from Alaska. Like people were really curious about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and be like, Oh, this guy's from Alaska. Like he probably, you know, is, is not messing around. Mm -hmm. Um, so I probably got some street cred for it, but I don't think I was out to prove anything. Um, I always did contests just for the money like that was really why i did them i it wasn't because i wanted to get famous i just wanted like there's prize money out there so i was like yeah let's do that um yeah to pay for like heli runs um so yeah I, i don't think i i don't think that that i had too much to prove being from alaska i think the writing speaks for itself
0: earlier you mentioned your crew the Juno boys, who are they?
1: Oh, the Juno boys. Well, I mean, there's not any real names. They're all nicknames. But, um, <laughs> yes, pr- pretty much, like, uh, Courier was the first one that kind of, like, embraced me. Like, Chris Courier definitely kind of took me under his wing. And and uh, as were some of the other guys, like Lando and Collar Greens and Fernbriz and Bubba. Mm-hmm. Like, those guys were... S- were really good and and Chris Chris Courier was with those guys he was just as good but he kind of like I think you know he, he he wanted to hang with me a little more and was just a nice, nicer about it um those other guys were just so much better that it took me a while but uh then there's like the the older Juno boys the n- not that much older but you know more established there's you know Scotty B mm-hmm. big shout out to Scotty B for the Aurora project man he's he's been just a super shredder from day one. Yeah. Um, Dano, and then the original Juno boys are, are Bruce Griggs, Sean dog, you know, Matt Brakel, rest in peace. But those, those old guys, like they are old now, so I can say that they're old, but, uh, they started heli skiing in in Alaska, really in Southeast Alaska, Bruce Griggs and Sean dog. So they're the original Juno boys. If you really want to see something awesome, look up um alaska extremes it's the sickest old school um snowflake you'll ever see and these guys were skiers but Mm -hmm. they started snowboarding when LibTech came out with the doughboy shredder which was this big giant board they switched because the skis were so skinny they couldn't ski the pow so they switched to snowboarding and they ended up going to valdez and bruce griggs got the first descent on python and this is in the movie, Alaska Extremes, and it was like his second year snowboarding or something. He's just a really good skier, but um, those guys were super influential to, to me as well. So yeah, Alaskan Extremes was, was I mean, I'm, I was a little kid when that came out, but man, if anyone out there wants to see something awesome and hilarious, <laughs> um, tr- try to look up Alaskan Extremes because it's amazing.
0: And what year did that come out? You do, do you know?
1: Oh man. It was probably, it was probably like 92 or something. Okay. Yeah. So it might be on the internet, but I think I have a VHS copy of it.
0: I guess I got a little glimpse into this when I would come and visit Juno when I was about, I don't know, nine, 10, 11 years old. And I would see all you guys in your natural habitat, but you know, I was so young And it's through the eyes of like, you know, a nine, 10, 11 year old, but what was it like back in the day, you know, rallying around Juno and, and also traveling for competitions with the Juno boys?
1: Yeah, I think that Eagle Crest really kind of formed us as a crew. Like Eagle Crest is a mini Mount Baker. Mm -hmm. Um, It's set up just like Baker. It's got the same terrain. It's got the same pow. It's got side country that you can just hike off the top of the lifts it's it's similar the layout is almost identical it's just a little bit smaller um so having like that terrain and that kind of snow um made everybody really strong um and so you know a lot of legends came out of mount baker and so we're just like our own little world up here i think the fact also that we're we're so isolated you know we there's nobody else at Eagle Crest besides the people that live there you know there's mm-hmm. there's no road in or out of Juno we're not getting city folk coming in for the weekend or mm-hmm. like you literally know everybody up there so um, i think the that we had the tightest crew pr- you know out of anyone because there was no one else it was just us all the time um, so that made us strong too because we were we'd ride together every single day to you know as a crew and when we traveled we do the same you know obviously we'd link up with the anchorage you know borderline team and and do contests and travel and film with them but mm-hmm. the juno boys were were a different kind of click um at our peak for sure because i think of how i you know isolated juno is and how how tight it it kept us um but yeah that i think it has to do with the, with the uh with the setting that we were in
0: And you guys had your own video, you know, at a certain point in Anchorage, there was JB Deuce. That was the borderline snow and skate video. And then was it Scotty B that did the Juno video?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Scotty did a couple that were amazing, Um, like rendered is still to this day. I mean, just a great film to put on and watch. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, brothers, brothers from different mothers. Yeah, that was, you know, that that was Lando and and your brother Jake. Um, That was their brainchild. And that that was pretty incredible. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you could say. Um, So yeah, we, we weren't on the production level of JB Deuce on that one. But um, that's a great flick. And then yeah, Scotty Scotty B is a great uh, filmer and photographer, and so he he has a really good eye. And mm-hmm. um, I think that yeah, he made a couple of movies. Rendered being probably the best one. And um, and then yeah, we all obviously we, wor- we worked with Bertner and Borgsted, and then Bertner and Jeno um, as we got older and started traveling more. I remember the skits in Brothers with Different <laughs>
0: Mothers. There was one where. Colling greens had like this little tiny remote control lowrider that had hydraulics yeah um and then he was like pressing the hydraulics and he's in the background and he's rapping like <laughs> yeah. yeah. rizza yeah. Yeah. right yeah totally
1: <laughs> well it's like we pretty much lived in the shop you know and i mean a lot of times Jabo actually did live in the shop like you know Mm -hmm. so we just spent so much time at borderline in the shop doing just dumb stuff you know and and (laughs) you know it's late at night and we're we're in you know teenagers still really and that yeah some of the skits from that movie um still stand up to this day i'm sure
0: yeah (laughs) i remember the first time that i came to juno you know again i was Mm -hmm. Pretty young. I don't even know if I was double digits yet. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't even know if I was 10, but I remember the downtown borderline location was right down the street from McDonald's. Yep. And um, you know, I get in, Jake picks me up from the airport and brings me to the shop and, you know, hang out at the shop, probably see all you guys, you know, help sell stuff. And then he's like, All right. Let's get some dinner and we can go to mcdonald's (laughs) and then he's like all right let's get some sleep and then we just go back to borderline take the cushions off the uh the couches or the you know the the seats or whatever and then jake was like this is usually my bed but you can have it tonight and he just like slept on the floor and i was like is this really where we're staying he's like yep
1: (laughs) yeah he lived like behind the counter so you couldn't see it from the outside and uh yeah I mean it's just hilarious like (laughs) he did that for years too
0: (laughs) you know I wonder do you think that you know a local snow and skate shop um in a place like Juno is important
1: yeah I it really is um and thank god that Jake and Derek you know revitalized borderline with with borderline legacy and um you know, gave, gave Juno a shop, like an actual shop that you can go into and buy stuff from. Um, it's just, it was so much different back then because there was no internet, right? You you Mm -hmm. just, you just couldn't buy stuff online. So having a hard goods shop in town was, was crucial because before borderline, we bought our snowboards from like a ski shop that had some stuff, but they didn't know anything about it. They were kind of just doing it as like a side hustle or, but when borderline came in, it, it was just an absolute game changer for Juno too, because um, we didn't have, we didn't have any real snowboard influence. You know, we didn't, we were just on the outskirts still. And, mm-hmm. you know, up in Anchorage and Girdwood, your dad had a couple shops already. and you know and that just obviously you've talked about it at length that just caused such a boom up there but when um borderline came down here which i, I don't know when it was like 92 93 something like that um tim weiser big shout mm-hmm. out to tim weiser who's been a rep for he's been in energy forever and uh, yeah he he managed the first shop the first borderline and i remember because i was super young mm-hmm. but i'm still friends friends with tim today um great guy and you know, he came up there just because your dad was like, Hey, I want to open a shop in Juneau, you know, I need a guy. And Tim came from from down south and came up there and opened the first borderline like through some contests and stuff. I could talk about borderline forever because that was you know, that was our our whole thing growing up. And and, yeah. and you know, like your your dad got me my first sponsors. Um you know and and i don't even know if i was actually sponsored that's the funny thing is because um he'd be like oh yeah i got you sponsored by limited snowboards and four square outerwear and all this and i was like oh that's so sick like i'm you know super stoked and then i think that they just like gave your dad some extra stuff for ordering so much stuff Mm -hmm. and then he would just give it to me and then because i i don't think i was actually sponsored i think your dad just like I was like, here's some, here's, he's like, you're sponsored by these companies now. And I was like, oh, yeah. cool. But like, I had no team manager, or like never actually talked to the people. And then I'd call your dad and be like, Hey, uh, do you think they could send me another board? And he'd be like, I don't know. You might be writing for someone different next year. <laughs> I was just like, okay, cool. But so like, it was funny cause I thought I was sponsored, but I think honestly it was just, your dad was just like, I was sponsored by borderline.
0: Yeah. You know, I wonder how often he did stuff like that early on, you know, um, kind of fake it till you make it kind of thing. Because I think that at least in my experience as, as long as, or if you act as if for a long enough time, then, you know, you're kind of in, you know, you, maybe you weren't sponsored by those companies in that moment, but you know, if you were, continuing to rep limited and you're getting shots and you're making moves in the industry, then of course they're going to want to hook you up, you know?
1: And that's exactly what happened was, um, you know, that first year I got sponsored quote unquote, it was totally your dad just giving me extra stuff. But then I, I started getting shots and then I won some contests and, and then I did, I sent in like, you know, photos and, and my results and stuff. And then the companies were like, Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I did get kind of connected that way. And then that, that, then it just grew from there, you know, but definitely it was, it was a fake sponsorship at first that, uh, your dad didn't really let me in on that, but, um, (laughs) I figured it out later, but, um, yeah, fake it till you make it. And I, I think he just, you know, he wanted his team to succeed, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and his team did succeed, that's for sure.
0: I think I've said this before on the podcast, but it's it's just one of my favorite images of my dad. And before he would go to the trade shows in Vegas, um, or the trade show, you know, the snow and skate oh, yeah. action sports trade show in Vegas, he would be like, okay, team, get me A sponsor me video and Mm -hmm. I will find somebody at the trade show to give it to, you know, whether you're a skateboarder or a snowboarder, maybe it's like a skateboard or snowboard, like specific brand, or maybe it's clothing or maybe it's shoes or whatever. And he would pack all of those VHS tapes inside of a backpack. And, you know, as he's walking around ordering stuff, he would, he would be like, okay, uh, let's see. Does Ashley or does Michael Hollinger, like, would he ride for this person? And then, like, because he'd have to be selective, right? Because maybe he's only got, like, one or two each or maybe one, you know, sponsor me video. Um, And it's just, like, that hustle that I I just love that image.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, it's so crazy that he did that, too, because he really did. And, like, he didn't have to do that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know. He just, he believed in his team and he wanted to support all of us. And I mean, the list goes on for what your dad did for snowboarding in Alaska. And especially the Juno boys, like, I mean, we were kind of like the annex, you know, we're way down here and he'd he'd come visit us sometimes, but like, you know, he didn't have to care about us, Juno boys, Mm -hmm. but he did, man. And and he did that. He'd carry around our sponsor me tapes and, and pimp us out and try to try to get us stuff from the trade shows and, and uh, and now you just tag someone on Instagram and you're sponsored. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's definitely took a lot more legwork back then and big props to Scott Liska.
0: And I guess that was kind of an unfair question earlier about you know, what do you think about borderline? Because obviously you're not going to be like, it sucked. you know (laughs) (laughs) sitting here talking to me
1: (laughs) or to anyone ever. No. Yeah. No, the borderline team. Um, you know, it shaped who I, who I am. It shaped my whole, snowboard, no word, you know, career, I guess you could say. Um, and I have all, you know, all my best friends, lifelong best friends are because of borderline. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, I could talk about the Borderland days for forever. It was life-changing.
0: When you think about your crew, the Juno boys nowadays, what comes to mind?
1: Well, you know, a, a lot of us have kind of grown up, you know, Um and and that happens right when you're when you hit 40 you kind of grow up you know all, mm-hmm. all of my crew we're we're in our 40s now so um, when I think of the Juno boys now I, I still just think of a brotherhood you know that that will never die like like the bond that we have is lifelong um, you know if I talk to Curry or on the phone or land if I see Lando or talk to him like it's it's like we never left um, so that bond will last forever. And then there's there's like a second generation too. There was a big gap between our crew and the next one. It was a 10 year gap. So kind of after we all graduated high school, you know, um, we moved to Baker and started, you know, chasing the pro snowboarder dream. Um, there wasn't anyone that filled our shoes for 10 years. There was a big gap. And I remember thinking, you know, man it's weird like our crew was it like like the juno snowboard scene's dead we all left like and and then there was this next wave 10 years later um that kind of came out of nowhere that um that i'm super proud of you know Um, lucas murley um just an absolute charger legend big mountain rider you know he's 10 years younger than me but if I had to fill a heli with six people, he would be in there, a hundred percent. So mm-hmm. there was this, uh, there was a big gap, and then there was a second wave, and then now I, I feel like, um, you know, your brother Jake and Derek are, are, working on getting that third wave of Rippers and Juno, and hopefully their crew, you know, gets tight. But uh, ours, ours was the best, and I don't think there'll ever be like a, a crew like that.
0: Why do you think it took so long for a new crew to form after you guys? It,
1: that's an interesting question. Cause, cause I've thought about it a lot actually over the years. I remember like, I guess maybe like five or six years after we kind of moved, moved away and we we're down South and traveling. and just, I'd go back to Eagle Crest, you know, all the, every year I'd go back to Eagle Crest and ride. Um, mm-hmm. but I would go back and I just would see the snowboarders and there just wasn't anybody, like there was no next generation that was stepping it up um the only thing i can think of is that skis got so much better that a lot of people were skiing and i noticed there was a lot of ripping skiers around but the snowboarders weren't they weren't cutting it um Mm -hmm. and so even this that second wave of juno boys that i was talking about half of them are skiers or more um like the really good ripping crew that came after us Mm -hmm. uh A lot of them are skiers, but nowadays, like, I mean, I, I ride with skiers all the time. I don't, it doesn't matter. Um, back, back in the back in the day, you know, skiers and snowboarders, we were super divided and we didn't ride together and, and all that. And then now I think, you know, I'll be riding with a crew that's half skiers, half snowboarders. And it's the only thing I can think of.
0: You know, I've thought about, I don't know, just the stagnation that happened after borderline maybe specifically left Anchorage and I guess maybe I don't know this for a fact. It's just a thought that I wonder if it took so long for things to reform because maybe it had to skip a generation. You know, the generation maybe that immediately followed, you know, the, the aftermath of Borderline being gone mm-hmm. was kind of like, I wish Borderline was still here you know and then maybe you had all those people being like oh it was so sick when borderline was around and then so there's there's like a little bit of sadness in that that following generation and then the next generation after that so two generations after borderline is out mm-hmm. that generation is just like they don't really have a frame of reference for borderline and they're able to just kind of like start anew you know
1: that makes a lot of sense cody honestly y- yeah Um, you nailed it. I think that that, that does make a lot of sense because, um, our, you know, our crew was so like influential, I guess you could say, and powerful that it's hard to follow that up. And then borderline goes away and there's this weird, like, you know, everyone's kind of in limbo and then the next generation kind of makes their own identity. And Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, I think that, that that's like a really important process. And I I um I remember when I moved back to Alaska in 2011 after college, you know, I, I was really conscious about not singing Borderline's praises too much to like younger generations because I don't want them to be jealous and I don't want <laughs> them to be like bitter about not being part of that because you know, if it happened before it can happen again and you just need that energy and that motivation, you know, inside of the scene.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way too. Like I, I don't, you know, try to preach about the good old days because I don't want anyone to feel like they missed out or, you know, Mm -hmm. like they can't live up to the standards of the Juno boys. Like that's, that's not productive. Um, and yeah i think you know the next generation needs to to figure it out and 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 forge their own path and i am thankful for for borderline legacy coming back to juno though Mm because i because i think that is a huge influence on you know the next generation of juno shredders um and without that shop like who knows yeah but yeah they're doing a huge service to juno um so yeah get your get your borderline gear out there you guys can (laughs) you can you can buy borderline shirts and stickers and hoodies and hats you can there's borderline gear out there for all you guys that maybe lost yours from from back in the day
0: just call d's at borderline legacy
1: (laughs) yeah just just call borderline legacy and say d's i need some shit (laughs)
0: <laughs> so speaking of the good old days, when you were 19, you won the downhill day at King of the Hill. Can you tell me that story? <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, uh, 1999, um, I I won my way into the King of the Hill by doing the Alyeska Extremes. Um, and so if you did the Alyeska Alies- Extremes and you won, you got all expenses paid entry to the king of the hill and that was the only way i could do it um because it was invite only anyways and i didn't have the money so i was just like i'm i have to go to alieska to win this contest to get entry um and so i went up there um did that won the contest got the entry um went to king of the hill first time in valdez and the first day is the race day it's the downhill day it's it's you know basically they put a couple gates down this huge mountain like the gates are spaced you know 200 yards apart it's a very vague course you just bomb down this huge mountain um it's my first day um i fly up there and you know i'm i'm about to get in the start gate and they're like where's your helmet i was like helmet like, like yeah you need a helmet like you can't do it without a helmet i was like oh what oh i obviously didn't read like the you know <laughs> the, the manual yeah to, uh, king of the hill um so i took <laughs> uh corbett you know corbett was uh he was the start yeah. guy and uh he he's like well you can use mine um And so I took his helmet and it smelled so bad. Like it was so sour. (laughs) You could tell he'd been riding in it for like six years. Like it was disgusting. (laughs) I put it on and I'm like, my beanie didn't really fit underneath it. So I had to kind of raw dog his helmet and it was so bad. So I was just like, I got to get off this mountain, you know? So I, um, they're like, Oh, we're on hold for TV crew. They got to, you know, change some batteries or something. And I was like, dude, I don't care about the filming. Like, can I just go anyways? Like, let's not film it. Like, I don't care. Let's just go uh, get this helmet off me. And, um, yeah. So they're like, okay, fine. So I, I went and I won. And, uh, and that was kind of, kind of wild. Cause I wasn't really trying. I just was just going fast. Um, it wasn't my goal to, to win really. I just was happy to be there. It was all expenses paid trip to Valdez with heli runs. Mm -hmm. um but then after i won the first day i kind of started feeling a little pressure because i was like oh man like i i'm in first place you know the king of the hill like Mm -hmm. you know for me that was a big deal and um the next day was freestyle and i just blew it i just (laughs) i went off (laughs) to the side and i did like this like extreme run off to the side i didn't hit the show like the the showcase booter on top that everyone was hitting. I just went off the side and like wrote a shoot or something. And the, the judges were like, that is not freestyle. I was like, oh <laughs> shit. Okay. So I got like 15th or something on the second day. I was like, oh man, I blew it whatever. And then, uh, yeah. And then I went to extreme day, which is the last day. And I got second and I, I had a good, I had a good run that day. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up third overall and I was like stoked. I want some money, you know? Um, you know, Axel Axel Paporte won that day won that that year. And that was the last year. And it's funny about that King of the Hill though, is one of those things where I'll just be like, if I can't sleep at night, even now I'll be laying in bed and I'll think about freestyle day of 1999 King of the Hill yeah, and how, if I would have just been a little smarter, you know, I would have won the King of the Hill. Cause I got first and second. Yeah. If I would have gotten top 10, I would probably would have won but I just botched it so hard. Um, and that <laughs> it's so funny cause that still keeps me up at night and it shouldn't, but it was the last one. I, we didn't know at the time it was the last king of the hill, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, it was my first one and it was the last one. And, man, I wanted that sword, you know, that, I yeah, that, uh, and that probably at 19 would have done a lot for me. You know, I probably could have, you know, but, that you know getting third kind of helped it got me invited to a bunch of other contests that um allowed me to, to do a lot of stuff so
0: before we get into that do you remember who else you were competing against at king of the hill
1: yeah i mean axel won. um i know good matt goodwill was there um steve clausen um your brother Jake was there. Uh, Borgstead, Borgstead won freestyle day. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, Jabo was there. Chuck Clasby came up from Juno. Um, I don't remember if Dre was there or not. Um, I'd have to look at the list. There's definitely some heavies from you know previous King of the Hill, you know competitions. I'm sure Matt Coffey was there and covey and there were some alaskans there and then a lot of people from down south i remember there was this guy from japan that was there on extreme day and i was about to drop into my run and he was just so scared because it was boiler plate ice like mm. terrible snow and uh he came over to me he's like how do i how do i ride here and i was like i don't know just go and uh he was just <laughs> terrified and, and that memory stuck out to me because i had this super tech line pecked out and I think he probably watched me go down and was like, what? But um, I was used to red and bad snow, so it's not a deal.
0: Something that I guess just came to mind is, you know, we've been talking about the mountain this whole time. What was, you know, after you guys were done riding, what was that like?
1: Oh, man. (laughs) You know, it's like a, it's like a two week contest because of weather windows. Mm -hmm. So we got the first day out of the way. Like I was on like day one or two of being there. We went up there, we did the downhill on the first day and I won. And so I was in first place and then we, and then a storm came in and weather came in. And I think we sat for like 12 days. Oh, okay. And so we sat at the hotel and it was I was just hanging out with with your brother, Jake, and we would just roam around Valdez and just like, I mean, I'm 19. He was 21. Mm -hmm. Um, He had he had two driver's licenses, so I was able to go to the bars and stuff. And we we just I mean, we were there for. Yeah, we sat around for almost two weeks, um, not riding, not doing anything, just like causing trouble kind of partying like not snowboarding um yeah and then when it finally broke so i've been in first place for 12 days (laughs) yeah at 19 like just like and then when freestyle day came uh yeah obviously i blew it but um honestly we kind of just partied sorry mom
0: Let's see how many times you can say, sorry, mom. (laughs) So during those days, you know, those down days for weather where you're in first place, what was the reaction from other people? Were they congratulatory? Were they jealous? Were they, you know, like, this is anybody's game still or what?
1: Yeah, I think that, like, nobody was jealous and nobody took me, like, as a threat. I Because nobody... I mean i was nobody so it didn't matter like people like axel or steve clausen or goodwill you know they've they've all done it a bunch they know that uh, first place doesn't mean anything in a in a three-day combined event so Mm uh nobody was really threatened by me or or give me any vibes um so that yeah that wasn't an issue um i was so young you know like nobody had ever heard of me. So it was, it wasn't like a, Oh yeah, Ashley's got this. Like it was probably, they probably thought it was a fluke, but you know, going fast down mountains was really what I was good at. And that's the only reason I ever succeeded at any big mountain competitions was because I, I just go really, really fast and, and don't stop.
0: So earlier you said that, you know, that competition keeps you up at night because, (laughs) you know, you felt like you were so close to just taking it all home. Mm -hmm. I wonder, has that followed you into future competitions where, you know, you're like, I'm not going to let that happen again.
1: No, no, definitely not. Um, I always took competition as an opportunity to make some money and travel. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, it was never, really about the result. Um, you know, when I went to Switzerland, I went to Verbier for the first time, I wasn't there for the money. Um, all the other things, I, or I was there for the money, I should say. I wasn't there to win. Um, winning was never really the point for me. The point was to travel and, you know, get to ride with with my heroes. and. Um, but i think the reason that one eats at me is because um i just blew it so hard that like it would have been so easy to win that i could have just rode down and done a couple 360s and won the con the whole thing but instead i kind of just botched it and that's why it bugs me mm. i think if i would have gotten 15th overall at King of the Hill in '99, it wouldn't bother me at all. I would have been like, "Sweet, I got to hang out in Valdez for two weeks and get a bunch of heli runs and party with, you know, Matt Goodwell." Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a win. Um, but I think coming in third, um, yeah, that one that one st- stuck with me. And you know, I did I did Verbier five times, which is the biggest extreme contest contest in the world, and mm-hmm. I. I uh, never cared about those results um i got all sorts of different results on that one and and it never bugged me i never was like oh i should have gone harder i should have done this i should have done that it was yeah it wasn't like that for me Um, the result wasn't wasn't the quest the uh the experience was, was why i wanted to do it and the money
0: i wonder if you know in addition to both of those things a reason that you wanted to do well is because maybe the people that you cared about most seeing you do well were there. You know, maybe at Verbier, a lot of those people are strangers and Mm -hmm. maybe you just didn't care so much what they thought about your performance.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, if we want to go down the Verbier rabbit hole, um, so so Verbier in two thousand was was different because um, last place got sixteen hundred dollars and it was all expenses paid trip to Europe and then if you got last place you won sixteen hundred dollars so it was invite only and the only reason I got invited there is because of the King of the Hill result so um, I went to to Verbier in Switzerland like to to get a three week trip to europe all paid for and get my sixteen hundred dollars guaranteed like i was like i'll get last place i don't care like this is sick i've never been to europe like yeah you want to pay for me to come over here and then i all I have to do is ride this really scary mountain one time <laughs> like okay yeah yeah sixteen hundred dollars boom you know when you're when you're that age you know i was 20 um yeah it was a lot of money and it, that's that's why I went I didn't go there to win at all and ended up winning ten thousand and <laughs> that got me five more trips to uh, Switzerland
0: <laughs> so you just said because I think you just cut out but you said that you won ten thousand dollars at verbier
1: yeah the the first year I went there uh I ended up getting first place um and won ten thousand they paid me in u.s cash too which is also weird at the time yeah um
0: it's like a drug deal yeah
1: yeah like at the end (laughs) i got this i got a trophy which i still have in my living room and then ten thousand cash and uh i'm 20 years old and i'm in switzerland i'm not even old enough to to go to a bar yet and uh it was the red bull extreme at that point so everyone's just hyped up on red bull it's huge party um and but yeah i mean the real point was like i didn't go there to try to win it at all like even with my run i wasn't trying to win i just wanted to like get down it and not you know hurt myself and then Mm -hmm. get my guaranteed 1600 hundred dollar check and then be like sweet i had three weeks in switzerland because the whole time you're there you're riding like you know in the alps and yeah it was amazing um, mm-hmm. and then to win was, I was shocked. I was just like, when they announced my name, I was like, are you serious? Like, and then, yeah, they gave me the the money and all that. And I was like, wow. Okay. Um, but that's a whole nother story. Like that was a pretty unique contest for me as far as how it all went down.
0: What's that story?
1: So it's just like, same thing. I got to the top and, uh, I'm waiting around for my start and I it's it's my time to go and i go <laughs> i go to get my board and all my stuff and my helmet's gone <laughs> and it's like we're like hanging off the top of this mountain like it's sheer on both sides and like i go to get i'm like i'm dropping next i go and my helmet's gone. I'm like, are you kidding me? I look everywhere, it's nowhere. Like it blew off the mountain or something. I mean, I didn't have a very tight scene back then. So the helmet's gone. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So I get to the start gate and I, <laughs> I borrowed the guy's helmet that was doing the start again. Yeah. But then I go to strap in and my heel strap's gone.
0: Oh no! Like I
1: am just not—I'm not put together at this point. Like you know, because <laughs> again, I'm not trying to win. I don't—I'm not like you know, super competitive. I'm just like, hey, let's just get down this thing. You know,
0: mm-hmm. my
1: heel strap's gone, so then I have to like pull out and let a couple more guys go while I Frankenstein a heel strap f- from this other binding. Same guy who whose helmet I was going to use. And the the hardware wasn't compatible, so I ended up taking off his binding and I put on his binding on my front foot and I had mine on my back foot. And he his binding was a size medium, mine's a size large because I wear 11s. And uh I'm strapped into his binding and I have this crazy toe drag. And they're like, no, you can't go. And so what I I was like, no, no, it's fine. I loosened my back foot and I kind of slid my foot forward a little bit. And I was like, no, this is the normal amount of toe drag that I have, like, this is what it always looks, it's fine, this is great. So I like cheated my back foot to make it match. So it didn't look so suspect. And um, And so they're, they're finally like, okay, you can do it. I'm like, okay, cool. And at that point there was me and one other guy left on top. Well, the guy that dropped in front of me ragdolled down the entire mountain. Oh, that's and, scary. And it, it it's a miracle he survived. But yeah, um, what happened was they had to helicopter him out to the nearest town. And um, that takes about an hour to, to get him to the hospital. And then they had to get the helicopter back. So I couldn't drop until the heli was back. So I ended up having to sit up there for another hour um, with mismatched bindings, some random Swiss guy's helmet, and some guy in front of me just almost died. So I'm just yeah. like, I'm like, dude, just get me off this mountain. Give <laughs> me my $1,600 and yeah. let's like call it a day, you know? Um, and so it finally happened and I did my run and I just kind of went super fast and I did a 360, maybe a half cab and uh and then, yeah, later at the award show, they, they announced that I had won it. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, wow.
0: That's awesome. All right. You know, what's interesting about this conversation so far is that you're really focused on the snowboarding, you know, mm. and I think it's totally genuine. You know, you're talking about the you know all of the the difficulties and the things that arise like within competition and that you just want to be there with friends and the camaraderie and meeting these heroes there's there hasn't been any talk of like parties you know because there's <laughs> a lot of people that that's kind of where their mind goes to it's like yeah we were doing this up on the hill and then but afterwards you know we were we were at this bar or so and so did this
1: yeah well, there was a lot of that, and you know, I don't remember a lot of the details. So um, it's it's definitely well, Europe was was a whole nother animal. The King of the Hill was was a huge party, and everyone knows that. Um, but over over in Europe, they they're on a whole nother level. And a contest sponsored by Red Bull. I mean, they're just force feeding you red bull and booze and i mean that it's a huge production and i mean the parties were insane just absolutely insane they'd rent out huge venues for us and as competitors we we're rock stars we're like signing autographs you know what i mean like how to table yeah. set up autograph signing and like again nobody knows who i am like i'm just i'm an american that's all they know mm-hmm. um which is fine like i don't care but uh I was, I was just a face in the crowd really, um, surrounded by these mega stars from Europe. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess the party was, was there, that's for sure. Um, but for me, the, the, yeah, the, the whole scene was, was about getting, uh, experience riding different places and riding with, with my heroes and new friends and exploring the world. Like that's, that's why I did it. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we remember what's important to us, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like the parties are just a bl- like a blur, not because I was like wasted, but like it was just, that wasn't really why I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember what, you know, what I remember from going to Europe and doing those contests, you know, five different years. I remember the lines, you know, I remember all the down days uh, in between the con or before the contest or after the contest, I remember riding with Steve Clausen and going and like having him repel me into some stuff and, and riding like crazy lines in Europe. Like I remember all the, all those lines and all those experiences, Mm -hmm. um, the parties, yeah, it's take it or leave it really. Um, it was about riding.
0: What do you think's one of the hairiest lines that you've ever done?
1: With bindings or without bindings? <laughs> Let's
0: do with bindings first.
1: Um, the hairiest line I've ever done with bindings is, it's definitely the bec de Ross in Verbier, the, the extreme venue there for the contest. I'd say that's, that's the heart, that's the hairiest thing I've ever ridden. Um, you know, that that contest venue is gnarly. It's all rocks. It's super steep. There's shark, shark rocks under the snow everywhere. And if you f- start tumbling, you will just tumble to the bottom through, like, multiple cliff bands. It's it's super sketch. Like, mm-hmm. um, not, like, an enjoyable thing to snowboard down. I think that's why they pay you 1600 guaranteed, just because... Nobody wants to ride that thing.
0: Yeah, that's the hospital bill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
1: but that, uh, yeah, that line withstanding probably some stuff in Haynes and the heli. Um, I, I got pretty squirrely in Haynes. Um, I lived there for five years and, and got a lot of heli time and got got pretty wild over there. So I would say some random heli Lyndon haynes probably scared me more than the bector yeah yeah well at least with the bector ross you don't have to worry about an avalanche
0: mm, okay
1: so that those terrify me
0: oh yeah i think that they terrify me now more than ever and i rarely go snowboarding now
1: yeah i'm i'm way more scared of avalanches probably now than i was when i was younger and that's probably just out of like, uh, youth and bravado and mm-hmm. being naive. But, um, yeah, I put a lot of thought into it nowadays.
0: So. Yeah. How about without bindings?
1: <laughs> oh man, there's two lines without bindings. Um, that, that's, that were scary, but also probably the best lines of my life. I would say, honestly, if, if I was to rank the best lines on snow in my life the top two are without bindings and one of them would be in revelstoke and one of them was in idaho with uh with the juno boys
0: and you're talking about pow surfing right
1: yeah yeah pow surfing which is what i pretty much do any chance i get like um if i had a choice i would go pow surfing over snowboarding every single day. Um, and that's, that's been my focus for, for a while now, I would say probably the last six, seven years, um, still snowboard a lot, but any chance I get, I'm, I'm on a pow surfer bindings free, trying to, uh, trying to push the limits there. Cause that's, that's what gets me going.
0: When did you get into that?
1: Well, (laughs) The first time I heard about it was, was Jesse Cross. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, big air horn, Jesse Cross. Um, he, uh, he told me that these Canadian guys were riding these things called no boards, no boarding. And um, that was Greg Todd's uh, and his crew in Canada. And, and, and he told me all about it. And I was like, that sounds stupid. Like, that doesn't make <laughs> any sense. Like, I don't get it. Like, why would you go snowboarding without bindings? Like that just sounds really dumb. Um, and he was pumped on it. He's like, you should see what these guys are doing. I was like, yeah, that no. Um, <laughs> and, then, and so that was probably like 2007. Um, and then Burton came out with the no fish. It was a no board that they made and it had the strap, the bungee strap in the middle that you hold on to, to kind of help. If you want to air, you can hold this bungee strap. And mm-hmm. um, I got one of those when it came out in 2009 because I was living in Haynes and I was there in the winter and it was hard to get up to like steep stuff in the winter time there with your sleds. And so I wanted to just mess around on the little hills. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get this thing because Jesse Cross told me that this is a, a thing. And I was like, I want to try it. So I got one of those. And so in 2009, I, I rode that in the winter and... Um, It's got the strap that you're supposed to hold on to, but I immediately like realized that you don't need that. And it kind of made it more awkward to Mm -hmm. hold it. So I just dropped it and then I took it off and I ended up just doing snow machine laps with that thing in pow and riding it with no, no strap, just, just shredding it. And um, Mm -hmm. it, it immediately clicked for me. And it's weird because I've, you know, I've, Taking a lot of people out and giving them a power surfer and send them down a perfect run. And for some people it clicks immediately. And then for some people like they're just super awkward on it and it doesn't really like jive like good snowboarders, you know?
0: Why do you think it clicked with you? I don't know.
1: I don't know. Um, I, you know, I've surfed a bit. Um, I I was a skateboarder forever and you know, you know, pretty comfortable on a skateboard and a a surfboard. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I honestly don't know why um, pow surfing clicked for me because um, I like to go really fast and straight and usually that's not something that you would do without bindings so um, I don't I don't know but it just clicked like I jumped on it and I was like wow and I was I was shredding on it and then um, I saw Johan Olofsson and Haynes and he had one there too so um he was telling me all about what the canadians were doing and like all the stuff you could do with it and uh i talked to johan a bunch about it and um i decided you know to to pursue it more and then the the real game changer was um was Wole was you know wolfgang novell um who who makes asmo pow serfs um, he, he had a part and in an absinthe movie um now here i think it was in like 2009 or 2010 and he came out this part where he was doing heli runs and hanes without bindings and then doing like shove and wall rides and just all this crazy stuff yeah um and so that part i think it was 2010 that absinthe part now here where i saw wole doing all that without bindings then i then i just kind of my head exploded and i was like oh this is this is my future um and so i you know i scoured the internet and i found uh tim wesley from from Le- leavenworth washington who makes shark pals pal surfers it's the shark snow surf mm-hmm And, um, had him, you know, went down there to his workshop in Leavenworth and he made me a board and that's, that's when it got real for me.
0: Are you riding the same lines on a pow Surfer as you would on a snowboard?
1: Uh, nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, as long as the snow is good, if the snow is good, Mm -hmm. I can, I can pow Surf on pretty much anything that I would really be comfortable snowboarding with um here's here's the thing is you know i'm 40 i just turned 43 years old so for me to get that that rush or that adrenaline buzz that i i used to get by hucking cliffs and Mm -hmm. you know going down gnarly huge mountains or spines um i can't do that anymore because i'm i'm older and my body just you know like I, I can't send a sixty foot cliff anymore. It's just, you know, I get hurt a lot easier than I used to. So for me, if I can take something like a POW surfer and ride some some steep, you know, technical backcountry line, like that gets my juices flowing so hard. Like I I get more adrenaline from pulling something like that off than I than I would riding the gnarliest mountain with my bindings. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think as I get older, like the evolution for me is to, to push, push the pow surfing to the limit and, uh, dial back the snowboarding a little bit because, you know, I've been snowboarding for so long, like to get excited about something, it's gotta be dangerous. Um, as we're on the pow surfer, I can kind of, keep it, you know, semi safe. It doesn't have to be a huge, massive thing. Like, um, and that's the beauty of it for me is I can still, I can still get that adrenaline that I used to get by going huge to, uh, to more manageable level of risk, I guess.
0: This might be a stupid question, but are you a pro pow surfer?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, I don't get paid. Okay. But uh, I think that is the definition of being a pro is you get paid. But no, I mean, yeah, I get free boards and stuff, and yeah, I've been able to still get free gear and kind of stay relevant. Um, the internet's helpful there because you know, like Instagram and TikTok, or like you, you put a video of you riding something gnarly without bindings, and then you've got just people from all over the world. They're just like they've never seen anything like it, like because yeah, nobody really knows what it is so yeah that helps you go viral a couple times that makes it easy to get some free stuff i guess but um yeah i'm not a pro but there's there's just a small um really super niche kind of um, market for this thing because people don't know about it and they don't know what you can do with it i think the more footage we can put out of, of people riding without bindings. I think it could grow. Um, but it's, it's super niche. Like you gotta have a, you know, perfect snow and you gotta snowshoe your way up to a mountain or get a snow machine or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not for, for your everyday snowboarder. That's for sure. Cause you know, you gotta have POW.
0: Yeah. You know, my frame of reference for pow surfing is from clips in snowboard movies. I wonder if you think that it will branch off and be its own thing at some point.
1: That's kind of my hope. Yeah. I hope that, that it will become its own thing. Um, I know the potential because I've done it a lot. Like, you know, there was, let's see, like pre COVID, I guess I I would go up to Revelstoke, uh, with my sled and meet up with my Canadian buddies up there. And I'd spend six weeks in December and early January, just strictly pow surfing, like not snowboarding Mm -hmm. once and riding every day. Um, and so I know what's possible on, on a board without bindings. Like I know what's what you can do and it's its own thing. Like you can rip it just as, as a snowboard. Um, you start hitting big airs and stuff, you know, that, that mixes it up a little bit, but if you want to ride steep lines or trees or pillows or anything that you would be, you know, you could ride stuff that you would be super proud to have ridden on a snowboard mm-hmm. without bindings. And so I think it, it, it may become its own thing someday, or it may just be this like random tribe of, of goofballs, you know, pushing it. Um, You could look at snow skating too. Like I've seen videos of, uh, some guys hitting huge park jumps on snow skates doing, you know, giant Christ airs and going, going big, you know, Mm -hmm. without bindings. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a tiny little market too, that could grow. Um,
0: Well, it's kind of like how snowboarding started.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the snurfer that's that's how it started um
0: well also just being a part of a niche community
1: yeah yeah exactly being the minority and having people look at you kind of funny um i ride my snow skate at at the ski area when it's not pow if it's like corn or just like a groomer day if like you don't want to go if it's just a kind of a crappy day i take the snow skate out and I'll ride blue square groomers all day and just be like screaming at the top of my lungs, like barely holding (laughs) on. Just like, yeah, I don't know. Just like it gets, (laughs) it gets my juices going. Like, and it's like such a basic day where if I was on a snowboard, I'd probably be trying to hit dumb little side hits and I'd probably tweak my knee or, you know, just do something stupid. Um, and, and that's not fun to me anymore. Anyways, like I, I like to push myself but I can only push myself the way my body is going to let me now. So for me, that's mm-hmm. bindings free because yeah, on a groomer day, I'm on a snow skate and I am just, yeah, going fast and barely hanging on and screaming at the top of my lungs. Uh, whereas if I was on a snowboard, I'd just be standing there like thinking about, I don't know, like bills I have to pay or something.
0: <laughs> is that what you think about when you snowboard? <laughs> well, you know, on a groomer
1: day, uh, yeah. I I don't think about that if I'm, you know, really snowboarding, but.
0: Okay. So I want to talk a little about Arctic man. Oh God. Yeah. You won that competition with my dad. He drove the snow machine and he pulled you on a snowboard. What's that story?
1: That was a, that's, that's a great moment in my life, man. Um, it was, it was 2004, and your dad had done it a bunch of times maybe not a bunch of times but a handful of times your dad had done it and he pulled randazzo he pulled your brother jake Mm -hmm. you know he he pulled some guys on it and uh he never got the win um and i think he called me up and he was like hey man like i really want to win arctic man so i don't have to do it anymore (laughs) (laughs) and he's like well you do it and i was like I was like yeah okay Scott I'll do it because like I never wanted to do it because it's terrible like the the act the act itself is terrible it's it's you know it's
0: a it's unpleasant
1: it's unpleasant it's a five and a half mile torture fest um so I went there with Scott you know he got the pimpy RV and he he paid for the trip really um He bought the expensive wax for my board and uh, and we went for it. And, you know, Arctic Man is a legendary party scene. There's like Mm -hmm. 20,000 people up there, like like a NASCAR, you know, arena. Um, So I wasn't there to party. I wasn't there to socialize. I wasn't there to do anything except win this thing. So Scott didn't have to do it again. And. You know just one and done like I really had no interest in it but um, so we took it serious I didn't party just you know we waxed the boards um, I had a speed suit that he got from Rosie Fletcher so I was wearing Rosie Fletcher's speed suit that I think she maybe wore in the Olympics or something okay um, you know we're trying to win um, you know but we're up against you know the Colorado US snowboard team so they've got their whole team of techs with thermometers in the snow. And, mm-hmm. um, they've got their warming jackets on top and stuff. And, and we're just, you know, obviously, you know, me and your dad doing this yeah. would be like low as low tech as possible. So, yeah. um, we did, uh, we, yeah, we did some practice runs, um, with the speed suit. Um, cause I needed to know like how it felt to ride. Cause I'd never worn a speed suit before, um, how to ride that much you know over five miles in a speed suit getting towed and um we did a couple practice runs and uh i was just black and blue covered in bruises from all the uh the ice getting shot out of the track of the sled and uh, i got hit in the nuts really bad (laughs) with a huge ice chunk and it like it like doubled me over and i was just like oh my god this is terrible like yeah i hate this (laughs) um so we uh we did that the day before and uh i drove my sled out there to get to the race site we did some practice runs and then uh my sled blew up um my my engine on my sled blew up and we're like let's just leave it you know i doubled back with scott to the trailer the day before the race and i was like well we'll just deal with that later and we show up in the morning for the race and the sled's gone someone had stolen it oh geez and i'm just like oh well that's tight like that's a great way to start the day <laughs> yeah um and so i was like whatever let's just do this you know um and what i did is i took a a couple pairs of socks and i i <laughs> i rolled them up and formed them into this like big dong and I put it down (laughs) the front of my speed suit to uh and this thing was too small for me this is Rosie Fletcher's speed suit like it was too small yeah so I had this giant dong sock covering my (laughs) my crotch um for the race and um and yeah we we uh we ended up we ended up winning it it was uh I think the reason we won is because right when it was time for the snowboarders to go, um, it got really flat light. Like the clouds came in and it got super flat light and all the Colorado guys were like, they're like switching their lenses out and like, they got their thermometers, they're trying to mix their wax up and
0: yeah. They're used stuff. to the sun.
1: Yeah. They're used to the sun. We've been training in the sun all week and then like right when it was time for snowboarders to go, it got really flat and I was like, yes, like sick. Yeah, because they had us beat from the technology standpoint but i'm from Juneau, alaska like i ride in flat light all the time like mm-hmm. you know i that's that's my jam you know mount baker like yeah i'm i'm all about it so um i think that helped i think that's probably why we won because those guys were struggling with uh being able to get towed 83 miles an hour in flat light you know like that's scary enough when you can see but when you can't see like it's terrifying so Mm -hmm. um yeah we pulled it off never gonna do that again
0: so did you guys know that you won or was it a situation like you know that previous competition that you were talking about where you're sitting there at the awards ceremony ceremony and they call your name and you're surprised
1: no yeah we didn't know that we won um until the awards but uh okay the cool part too is that the arctic man has the calcutta betting system so you can bet on teams it's like participants can make money if they pick your team and they can they can bet on you well nobody really wanted to bet on us because nobody knew who we were right um i don't think anyone knew who ashley call was you know at the arctic man i just i'm not a household name right so it was just, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm, I'm up against like you know real racers so um we ended up buying ourselves or betting on ourselves because you can do that too you can buy your own team so we did that and and uh so that that doubled our prize money really so um ended up getting my sled stolen but i think i walked with like 10 G's. So I just went to mining and diving and bought a new sled that week. So that worked. that's out.
0: awesome. <laughs> so my brother, Jake said that you two were texting the other day and you guys were talking about this conversation, you know, you being on the podcast and Jake was saying how he was going to give me some questions for you. And you said, Oh my God, please take it easy on me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Jaybo, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I want to tell you that there's there's nothing to worry about. He gave me a couple fun questions about uh, you guys traveling together. So,
1: yeah, good times.
0: So Jake told me about the first time you guys got invited to the was it the Rip Curl Heli Challenge in New Zealand?
1: Yeah. The, yep. The Rip Curl Heli Challenge in New Zealand.
0: You guys were young you were freshly out of high school and Jake was in his early twenties. What was it like to be invited to that event? And then what was it like to compete in the event?
1: Well, yeah, that was, that was one another one of those things where I got the call and got invited to that, where I was just super surprised and, and honored. But, um, when I heard that Jake was going, um, I mean, I was just so stoked because I was like, I got, you know, my best homie there with me. And, um, we got into some, some stuff down there. Um, (laughs) Dre also did it with me a year. Um, so Spinelli Mm -hmm. came down for a year for that one. Um, but I do remember the trip with Jake was was just absolutely hilarious being with him down there I think it was my second my second year was the year Jake was there um we yeah we went we went pretty wild again I, I mean I wasn't trying to win anything so um, the heli challenge was pretty unique though in that again my first day on my first year of the heli challenge was the Chinese downhill and uh, it's it was like king of the hill is a three-day event three different different disciplines and the first day was the Chinese downhill where like you know 25 guys all start at once and go down a 3,000 foot mountain Mm -hmm. um and I ended up winning that my very first day of my very first heli challenge and it was another one of those scenarios where I was like I just wanted to you know I wasn't there for the contest I was there to to go to New Zealand in July and go heli skiing like yeah, yeah let's do that Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, the one with your brother was pretty special. Um, I, there's a million stories there.
0: He said that you guys caught a sheep while you were there in New Zealand.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So obviously in New Zealand, there's sheep everywhere, right? That's kind of what they're known for. Um, and yeah, I think we had a, I was sponsored by Rip Curl, so they they gave me a rental car and housing and everything. So I rode for rip curl and it was their contest. So they styled me out. And uh, so Jake and I would take the the rental car all around. We did all sorts of weird stuff, but um, the sheep one is like, yeah, there's a, there's a big field full of sheep. And Jake's like, let's go, you know, tackle a sheep. I was like, yeah, of course, obviously (laughs) let's do that. So we pull over and like, yeah, we run around and there's like, (laughs) me and jake are just like trying to corral these sheep and we finally get one and you know jake's got it like pinned down and i think we even got some photos of it and it was you know it was funny and then we like you know go back to the car or whatever and like that sheep that we tackled like just wasn't moving and it was just oh no it was just like just kind of like stunned you know yeah and we thought that we like killed it or something and then uh and then it got up and, and it walked away. It was fine. But it was still just one of those things. Where we're just like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> I know that we're not the only like American snowboarders to go to New Zealand and tackle a sheep. I'm pretty yeah. sure. like There's no way we're the only ones that did that. Um,
0: yeah, Jake was saying that it was a weather day, so you couldn't go ride. You couldn't go compete. And he looks at you and said, this is sheep day, dude.
1: <laughs> this is sheep day yeah <laughs> I probably knew exactly what he meant too like yeah. yep yeah it's sheep day let's go <laughs> oh my god he said
0: that the sheep was jumping over you guys's head and stuff
1: oh yeah no I mean obviously he didn't want to have anything to do with us he didn't want to get yeah. caught or pinned down for photos like um I think I had like a disposable camera, you know, one of those. Yeah. And uh, I, we've got photos from it. We have proof.
0: There's a photo at Borderline Legacy in Juneau of you, Jake, and Doran. Yeah. <laughs> Just hanging out with the sheep. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you guys are super young.
1: Yeah, super young. Super young. And I mean, that's what you do, right? Uh, we did some other dumb stuff. Like we we had an old rock board that we tied a string to and we put it out in the in the road in the middle of nowhere and then like people would drive by and they'd see a snowboard on the side of the road and they'd stop and then they'd run they'd like come out to get the snowboard and then we'd we'd pull it in with the lion and they'd like look up into the bushes and like and you know, Jake's laugh is giggle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, <laughs> so we did that one night and obviously, you know, we had some beers and stuff. We were hanging out in the bushes, just fishing with the snowboard. And we got like a bunch of people and then like this rugby, like I think it was like a rugby team or something. It was like a big van and like all these big dudes got out and we pulled it in and we were laughing and then they started to like, kind of like charged into the bushes. And I remember just, me and Jake take we just took off running into the field like as fast as we could. And they, they ended, you know, the rugby guys left, but like we're just I mean, we're what do you do when you're not snowboarding, right? You just yeah have fun with your friends and dork out. Grab ass. Yeah, grab ass. And you know, <laughs> J is the king of grab ass. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: What about the time you guys stole beer?
1: Oh, which time? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did that in New Zealand. Um, I got in trouble with my team manager over that one actually, because really? it was a yeah, it was a rip curl party, and uh, oh okay, they sponsored it and they provided all this beer, and I I just remember Jake and I, you know, we just we saw like these pallets full of beer just sitting there, and we just grabbed them and we ran and we we took them all back to uh to the room and and eventually like yeah word got out that the alaskan boys stole all the beer from the party and um (laughs) yeah that you know i mean we were young
0: jake said that you guys got back to your hotel room and you're slamming these beers and they taste a little weird and then you look at it and they're non-alcoholic
1: That was the king of the hill.
0: Oh, that was he got the stories mixed up. Yeah,
1: that was king of the hill. (laughs) That was the king of the hill, and we were. There was a comedy show at the bar, and I was using Jake's fake ID at the time because I was only twenty and um, or nineteen or whatever. But, um, yeah, that was funny because the comedian, like for some reason, like pointed at me during his set, and he was like a big time comedian. He had been on like tv and stuff like the letterman show and he's he's in valdez at the king of the hill doing a show and he he looks at me he's like how old are you i was like oh i'm 19 i mean 22 (laughs) and then like it you know the comedian loved that because he kind of ran with he was just doing crowd work and yeah anyways i botched it because i forgot that i had a fake id the bartender came over checked my id i showed him jake's you know he's sitting right next to me and they're like oh yeah it's fine I'm like oh yeah no i'm I was born in August, I think. But um, anyways, after that show, there was a big party for the King of the Hill. And we did, we snuck into the cooler, the walk-in cooler, and we grabbed a couple cases of beer. Um, and we got back to the room and realized that we had just, we we took, you know, non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> it's, it's not my proudest moment, to be honest. And yeah I'm sure my parents would be pretty disappointed in me, but uh sorry, mom. yes, yeah, sorry, mom again, <laughs> but you know when you have two weeks of downtime in Valdez and you're nineteen, like what are you gonna yeah. do?
0: yeah, <laughs> kids will be kids,
1: that's for sure,
0: so this last story that that Jake told me about actually probably happened before all of the new zealand stuff it was the time that you bought him a ticket to costa rica
1: yeah that's funny because like when i was in high school my senior year of high school like i wanted to learn how to surf so bad like i'd never surfed before and i don't know i just thought it looked really cool and i really wanted to learn how to surf and so i was like this is my goal like after I graduate high school, I'm going to learn how to surf. I'm going to Costa Rica for two months. I'm just going to surf every day. I'm going to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I even wrote Costa Rica on my graduation cap. Like, I was so jazzed to learn how to surf. That's awesome. And, uh, but I couldn't really find anyone to go with me. And, and like, Jake's, you know, running borderline and, you know, we're best homies. And ended up, uh, I, I was like, dude, let's go to Costa Rica. You know, I kept bugging him about it. And. He's just kind of waffling. And finally, I just went and bought him a ticket. And I was like, dude, you're going to Costa Rica. It was, you know, a paper ticket from a travel agent. Yeah. Um, and I brought it to Borderline. I said, you're going to Costa Rica. You owe me a $1,000, by the way. But <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> we're going to Costa Rica. Yeah. And um, and it turned out to be, like, the best trip ever. Um, you know, Courier came down. Scotty B was there. Um, it. It was uh, it was amazing. We all learned how to surf together. Yeah, it was the first time any of us had ever been anywhere like that, like warm where you could do that. So
0: sounds like a party movie. Did Juno you know boys go to Costa Rica?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah, this is before like internet, cell phone. You know, I mean, w- we just went there with no plan. Yeah, so we're riding buses around, no idea what we're doing. Um, and it was a different way to travel. Now you know like i'm planning a trip now for this winter to go down to panama and it's like i got everything lined out everything is like dialed in i know where we're going you know where we're staying but yeah back then uh, like jake and i just got off the plane and we're like now what you know yeah and we're like where's the bus stop oh okay and then like buy a ticket to the closest beach and then like go from there um and also being you know teenagers like yeah that was uh that was a fun one that was a fun one that was special
0: and this winter you're living back in Juneau, right
1: yeah i'm i'm moving back to Juneau full time for the winter um it'll be my first full winter there and in a while um i'm up in skagway right now wrapping up my business and then um I got my seasons past Eagle Crest and a, a house rented and gonna gonna go spend the winter back where it all started. I think it's um, gonna be a good reset for me, you know?
0: Are you, I mean, it sounds like you're looking forward to it, but are you nervous at all?
1: No, I, I am looking forward to it a hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no nerves at Eaglecrest crest for me. I, I, I know everybody in the lift line. I, you know, I've uh, got a ton of friends there, and it's just a real quiet place to go snowboarding, and, and it's perfect for me right now. And, yeah, I'm going to get the pow surfer out and try to do some of my old um, classic snowboard lines uh, without bindings this year. Just try to push it a little bit, and, and then I um, yeah, get up to Haynes a couple times, go visit Ryland Bell and, and Lucas up there. And um, yeah, just spend the the whole winter in Southeast Alaska and just and snowboard full time. You know, because of COVID, I haven't had like real full winters the last couple of years because my travel budget basically evaporated after uh, I had to shut my business down. So we had a Mm -hmm. good year this year and, and I've got I've got the budget back to to be a snowboard bum again, which is really my true calling in life. Let's, be honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the business you're talking about is your summer tourism business in Skagway, right?
1: yeah, we started a uh, a tour business here in Skagway in two thousand eleven with a couple of my best friends and uh we've got these big forty foot like navy seal zodiac boats with uh triple 250 outboards on them, so they uh Go super fast, and we do donuts and rip around and just explore the fjord up here. And uh, it's all cruise ship based tourism, you know. Skagway gets like four cruise ships a day, and that's, you know, over 10,000 people a day just come off here and they're looking for something to do. So I take them on a boat ride, and then the next day we got another 10,000 new people, and we just kind of do that um, for five months straight and then put the boats away, and, you know, normally that's when my my shred travels begin, but with COVID, you know, we're shut down for a couple of years, so mm-hmm. um, it's nice to nice to be back.
0: What's one of the classic lines that you're looking forward to doing at Eagle Crest this winter?
1: Oh, definitely um, ship for Brains um, is the name of it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's just this straight chute that goes down. It's in the side country, Eagle Crest. you got to hike for about 40 minutes off the top of the chair. But you can see it the whole time you're riding the chairlift. You can see it. It's up up, up in the side country there. Shit for brains. Um, I've wanted to pow surf it for years. And uh, I've actually been on top of it with my pow surfer and, like, was poking at the snow. And it was like, um, yeah, no, that's not... Not a go today, but when the conditions are right, that's the one that, like, you know, I've, I've put the most thought into. And then there's a lot of other ones around, but shit for brains, for sure.
0: Shit for brains. Yeah, great name.
1: Bruce Griggs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> you know, the last message you sent me the other day I thought was pretty great. You said, I'm typing all of this with my one-year-old daughter on my chest as she sleeps, so I guess there's a fatherhood angle too and how that has mellowed me out and helped me with my patience issues. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so true man. So I have a, a lovely 1-year-old daughter and um, and it's 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 grounded me a lot. Um, I'm notoriously like impatient in lift lines and I think ba- basically anytime there's there's powder or anything like I am just really frothy and I don't do well with lift lines or, or like traffic, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I've always had patience issues with, with that kind of stuff. And now having, you know, having a kid is, is really, yeah, kind of mellowed me out as far as like, I'm okay if things take a little longer now that's fine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my partner Katie is amazing she's super patient and such a great mom and really supports my you know my snowboarding too and and i'm really thankful for that and um but definitely yeah i i've slowed down my my pace a little bit just because um with with a kid you can't you can't just go full throttle and be really selfish you have to you know kind of go with the flow a little more so Probably a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think we could all learn a little patience.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a time and a place, though. I mean, if they just pop the gate on North Face, like, <laughs> you're not going to be patient. <laughs> yeah. you know, patience is a bad thing there. True. But, uh, yeah, no, if, uh, you know, you're stuck in traffic or if the lift the lift line's a little longer than you'd like, you know, now I just kind of, you know, I'll just bullshit with the people around me in line. As we're, before, I would, like, try to, like, sneak further and you know i was i was a pretty bad line snake back in the day like really like at baker and stuff oh man yeah yeah i'd I'd roll up and i would just i would i would cut to the front of the line like all the time i just i was pretty good at it and i had a yeah i had no patience whatsoever um and so that's changed so i'm a lot more chill than i used to be
0: well you know ashley that does it for my questions man (laughs) this this has been awesome. Thank you for giving me, you know, over an hour and a half of your time.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's an honor code, man. And thanks for thinking of me. And I know I'm not a household name or anything, but, um, it does mean a lot to be on your podcast. And I listen to everything you do and man, I've known you since you were in diapers. So it's an honor. Just
0: tiny, you know, when you guys <laughs> were staying at my house during borderline camp you know i uh i always loved the juno boys you know um there was this point where my parents were going you know every summer they'd go to molokai in hawaii and then that that island kind of got shut down for tourists and then they kind of relocated their vacation to kaua'i and then they'd go to kaua'i and during that like transition i remember i was just like i want to go to juno and, and so like my whole family went to Hawaii and this happened twice. And I went to Juneau, you know, because I enjoyed it there so much, you know?
1: Yeah. And, you know, you're always welcome down here in Southeast Alaska, Cody. You know, you got tons of friends down here and yeah. we'd, uh, we're always, always happy to see you. That's for sure. I mean, you're a Liska. You can, you can go anywhere in Alaska, really. <laughs>
0: Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add?
1: I guess the one the one thing that you know, let me let me grab my soapbox here and my Bible. I want to preach for a second. Is um, for for anyone who's getting a little older, who's you know a good snowboarder or skateboarder or surfer, and wants to mix it up a little bit is. is try, try pow surfing. That's, that's all I ask. Like go climb up a little hill. It doesn't have to be much, just a mellow little hill, a a gladed tree run, you know, the, the ski area, side country or something and jump on a pow surfer and just try it out. Um, I think after just a few turns through the trees, you're going to realize that you can ride it just like a snowboard and it will just change your life and open your eyes to a, a whole new angle of sliding on snow. Um, and for someone who's been snowboarding as long as, as we have, it's really great to have a, a new perspective and a new, just something to freshen up a little bit. Um, so I would encourage everyone to jump on a pow surfer.
0: You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcota Beats.